Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, February 10th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Got a couple different things to get to. Ole Miss won a basketball game and looked pretty good doing it against Florida on Saturday. We might get into some baseball stuff as well. But uh, with all Yeah, I'm going to stuff- test something. Uh, you know, we were talking right before you hit record and uh, – um, since baseball media days tomorrow, it'll be a baseball heavy show on Wednesday, but I've got an idea for the radio show and I'm going to test it on you to see if it's uh decent content. And, uh, if it's good, we'll, uh, we'll do it this afternoon. So we got that going on. We have <laughs> probably some baseball, maybe get into, I did watch a couple XFL games this weekend. I was actually pleasantly, uh, not surprised. I guess I just didn't have much expectations, but I was pleased with how they, I thought I was pleased with how they turned out. At least I think it's a little bit better and a little bit more organized than the AAF was. So we'll probably get into that a little bit as well. Did you watch any of those XFL games? I did, uh, yeah, especially yesterday. And I watched all I, of Tiamu yesterday. Uh, say that again? I watched all of Tiamu's game yesterday. That's what kind of drew me in. He and Fitzgerald. Yeah, he was good. He had a good day. It, there are a couple throws he made. You wonder if he won't get a shot as a backup somewhere in the NFL. I mean, a good locker room guy like can come in and, I mean, he is athletic. He can run a little bit. But there were a couple throws yesterday where you thought, you know, hey, this dude could play in the NFL because that was an NFL-type throw, especially one on the boundary. I mean, looked really good, ran well. I wouldn't. I would not be surprised if he finds his way on a roster this fall. Is he going to start? Well, no, but – this could be his stepping stone because he looked good yesterday. Yeah, you had the kid from the Orlando team that tore up the AAF for however many games it lasted, six or seven or whatever, and ended up, he parlayed that into the Browns' backup job. But for whatever reason, his name right now is escaping me. We Uh, Rodriguez. He's back in the XFL. Who? I think Luis Rodriguez. No, no, no. This guy, this guy was, this guy was the Brett. Like he earned the Browns' backup job this year behind Baker. Rodriguez. Oh shit! What? What was his name? This guy's name is. This is great podcasting, but this is going to bother me. I picture him. You know, who I'm, uh, Garrett Gilbert. Yeah. Had a hell of a year in the uh, for I think it was Spurrier's team in the Apollos. I may have the team name wrong. Point being, he parlayed that into a job. So. I do have some thoughts on Tiamu, some thoughts on the XFL in general. First and foremost, though, let's get to the basketball game because that was kind of the big old Miss thing from the weekend. Ole Miss trounced Florida 68-51, and Florida got up 5-1 to one early in the game. But like, oh, but I say that to say Ole Miss was a couple possessions away from having two wire-to-wire victories this week. They didn't trail against South Carolina, and they didn't really trail for any significant portion of this game against Florida. You uh, – it's probably the best defensive game they played all year. I was really impressed with the way they handled Andrew Nimhart, and, and really post-defense was pretty good as well. Probably the best game they've played for 40 minutes defensively. Uh, total, Brian Tyree had almost what felt like a pedestrian 23 points. Like He's been playing at such a high level, and he's like, I know the colleges don't do usage rate, but I would be interested to see in these last, like four of these last six games in particular come to mind as to like what his usage rate would be. But, like, kind of a quiet-ish 23 points. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It just kind of like he – like it didn't feel like he did anything that he hasn't been doing and just kind of almost slept walk his way there. K.J. Buffin had 14, which Kermit Davis said was probably his best game in an Ole Miss uniform. I tend to agree. He 14, seven rebounds, was good defensively. He played 38 minutes, meaning he stayed on the floor for 38 minutes. And then you had another good game from Blake Henson, who don't look now is actually kind of stringing some games together and playing some decent basketball. And this was just a really good team win, uh, all in all. I know that sounds like a coach at the podium, but I, I didn't. I didn't really have any gripes with this. I don't think Florida is that good, despite uh, they have some talented pieces on the floor. They're a little bit young, but something is off with them. But that said, Ole Miss played pretty well. 
And that showed what that team was supposed to be, right? I mean, and also what they could be. If they don't blow four double-digit second-half leads, then they're a tournament team right now. But Saturday was what everybody thought they were going to be, and they just they haven't been to this point. But the, the defense on Nimhard, I'm not as surprised by, just because, you know, they're good at guard. I mean, they've got two veteran guards, really good defenders. Well, Schuler's a really good defender at times. I'm not surprised when they're able to limit a guard from scoring. But what they were able to do with Blackshear, because the challenge that you've got uh, coming up tomorrow night uh, with Mississippi State, uh, yeah, yeah, Mississippi State's pretty good all around. I mean, Ben Howland, his the knock on him has not been the acquisition of talent. It's his inability to coach them up. Um, I mean, they're fine otherwise, but Reggie Perry is more than fine. He's elite. Uh, I mean, potentially the best big in the SEC. He's that good when he's on. And defending Blackshear the way they did should give you some, I, I don't want to say optimism, but should give you some hope uh, tomorrow night with, uh, trying to at least not let Reggie Perry take over the game and force somebody else for Mississippi State to beat you because you're good at defending the perimeter. What what they have not been good at is being physical and stopping guys uh, in the post. And if they can shut down Blackshear, it's a different challenge with Reggie Perry, a very different challenge. The guy is – he's an NBA big. He really is. Um, Making a hell of but a if case they can, for all SEC – I mean, SEC player of the year, too. I mean, who would be – his competition at the moment. Richards at Kentucky. And the name uh, Kentucky will probably help carry some weight there. But either way, if if they can just not allow him to take over the game, they have a really good shot on Tuesday. And what happened Saturday night, well, it wasn't Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, should be really encouraging. As you said, all around, they did everything good. I mean, it's hard to even pinpoint something that they didn't do well. But I think that's a huge... Uh, circle in the positive column was Blackshear's stat line because he's a really good player and Ole Miss has been susceptible in that spot and he was I mean non-existent he really was on Saturday yeah and what was interesting about that is they they've they haven't been a very good post defense interior defensive team for a lot of the year but Hadim C has kind of figured out a little bit he didn't have a great offensive game in this one but he and Buffin were pretty good defensively, uh, to your point, on Blackshear. Blackshear finished with 11 points, 3 of 8 shooting, I think, uh, like six total rebounds, maybe five. I don't uh, – yeah, six total rebounds. I was making sure I had that right. A couple turnovers and a couple of assists. And then Andrew Nimhart ends up with five points, 2 of 9 shooting. And that's the guy as talented as Blackshear is that really kind of makes him go because, like, what, I think he's like, at a hair under six assists a game. Like when he gets going, the other four are better around him. And what was it shocking? Not shocking, I should say. What was interesting to me about that was that Kermit Davis said after the game that Tyree uh, really kind of sought out, like wanting to defend him and wanting to size him up, and and was basically kind of welcoming the challenge to guarding him. And he certainly did it successfully. Uh, but overall, I mean. Between that and the way I would say Buffett and Henson played offensively, like if they had had this all year, here are two stat lines that, that Ole Miss could have used every single time. And you have K.J. Buffett, 6 of 8 shooting, 14.7 rebounds. Blake Henson, 9 points, 3 of 8 shooting. But he had 6 rebounds and he had 3 assists. And he didn't turn it over too much. And he played okay defensively. Like if they had had that stat line, if you could just plug and place those two stat lines into – 75% of their games this year, this team would probably be an NCAA tournament team or at least very much in the thick of things on the bubble. And as a couple of us were kind of talking about before the post game, like as we were waiting on players and stuff, they're only like a couple of possessions away from already being a bubble team just because of yeah. everyone loves to say the <laughs> bubble is weak. But there really are just a lot of very average teams. I mean, if you had beaten, if they had beaten Auburn two, I guess that's, almost two weeks ago at this point, two weeks from tomorrow ago, you'd be in it. Like, you didn't have to go down to LSU and win. If you could have just somehow closed out that one, and then you, you and need and to throw win Arkansas in there as well. Sure. I mean, throw, throw whoever the hell you want. No, hell. Got- no, Texas A&M. Forget even Arkansas. Just don't implode in College Station. And there you go. Well, I mean, you can keep going down the line because, yeah, they got kind of smoked uh, at LSU, but they led double digits very late in the second half when they had LSU and Oxford. It's just 
they're going to end up kicking themselves at the end of the year because if they continue to play this brand of basketball, you're going to get to the late in February. Like, they're going to be, obviously, college basketball is, particularly I've found it with the SEC, is like you kind of follow your team if you're a fan, and then you don't, like some people are just basketball junkies, but I don't feel like it's a ton. But to a lot of people in Nashville at the end of the year or teams that are in the in the hunt for the NCAA tournament are going to kind of be, if Ole Miss knocks one of them off, they're going to make, how the hell is their record what they are? Uh, I don't think it's going to make sense. So, But they can guess, find their way to play. I mean, they're not making the, the tournament at this point. It certainly doesn't seem like it. I guess they could, yeah, you know, beat Mississippi State and Kentucky this week and get back into the mix, but that's that's unlikely. That's um, what it would take, though. That's what it, you would right. take beating State at home, and then if you somehow pull the upset in in uh, Lexington, then you become pretty frisky with uh, time is definitely not on your side, but then you got a chance. Again, I don't see that happening, but I guess, I mean, if you do go 2-0 this week, you're kind of back on the radar. For sure. And, I mean, if they could find their way to play into the NIT, that would be, especially considering what happened, and now that we've learned what they lost in Terrence Davis, a nice consolation in year two. I mean, that's not what a lot of people expected them to be, and I don't know. Maybe that that wasn't particularly fair, but it should the team should have been better than this, as we've talked about almost every podcast. The record does not reflect what the team can be, and you saw that Saturday and what was it Tuesday night as well or Wednesday against South Carolina. It was Wednesday night. Um, what they are supposed to be, but considering what was it five in a row, six in a row, they lost in SEC play. Um, the, the injury to Luis Rodriguez uh, to start the season. Tyree missed a game. C missed a game. Finding a way to get to the NIT and maybe winning a game or two would be a nice setup year two to go into year three where the expectations go back up. Yeah, sure. And to your point about it being like a nice, like a constellation, it, it, like in, from the long view, it would be kind of look more stable in terms of program building. Because for a while, when they got in that stretch and what they got to one and seven, you're sitting there thinking, "Holy hell!" Like, you know, you finished below 500, like record-wise, and you completely tanked this year. It's like, like two and 16 was on the table. I mean, two and 14 was on the table. Yeah, you're kind of in a weird place. Yeah, 16. But you're kind of in a weird. Yeah, you're kind of in a weird place in terms of how you view the program long term because it's like, well, did you just whiff on a bunch of guys or what's going on here? But, yeah, I think that would be a good consolation for them. But, you know, they've kind of adopted and really gotten behind this mindset of let's win February, like nothing else matters. Uh, you know, let's just co- focus on the month in front of us. Like they keep saying we're undefeated in February, which not to be well, actually, guy, technically that LSU game was February 1, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I'm just going to yeah, let sure. them have that one. But after the, <laughs> LSU, after the LSU game, the point was they were just kind of being like, let's just see what we can do this month. And it's worked for them so far. But I guess spinning it a little bit forward, it is a kind of a whole different animal with the Mississippi State team that uh, kind of slept walked through the first half against Vanderbilt, but it is as dangerous as anyone. They have a lot of talent, and you mentioned the the kind of the job they did on Kerry Blackshear, where you're about to get Blackshear on steroids, uh, only a bigger and better version of him. in Reggie Perry, who is very quickly making a SEC player of the year case. I think he's got a really good one. I don't know if he ends up winning it, but he is a, uh, he's a fantastic player. That's going to be an interesting game because obviously Ole Miss continues to start playing a little better and playing a little better and kind of finding themselves as a team, albeit it's probably a little too late in the year. On the flip side of it, State can't really lose afford to lose that game as they're firmly on the bubble trying to get in the NCAA tournament like this, this is a crucial, crucial game for very different reasons for both teams. For Ole Miss, it's just kind of like you want to keep playing well. I should say, I guess it's more of a crucial game for State than it is for Ole Miss. Probably not even. It close. is uh, because a, a loss would really hurt them. They've got no opportunity to get a quality win. Maybe, maybe Alabama uh, at home though later on this month. But otherwise, their schedule remaining sets up really well to put a bunch of wins together and, and just winning games will help your net and get you in the tournament, but they cannot afford a slip up. Uh, like, I mean, even Ole Miss is a top 100 team, so that wouldn't be the end of the world, but they really can't afford to slip up a few times when their remaining schedule is Ole Miss, Arkansas, South Carolina, A&M, Alabama, Missouri, and then repeat games with South Carolina and Ole Miss. 
that is an awful schedule as far as quality. And you can't like go to College Station and lose. You can't go to Columbia and lose. And you probably can't go to Oxford tomorrow and lose. Yeah, state seems like, and I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't watched a ton of state this year, but I have watched a couple of their games, and I'm probably a little bit biased in terms of seeing the upside of them because it's been their SEC games where they really started to play better. I, I didn't see a lot of the non-conference stuff. I know they had the bad loss in the game that Richard did in Jackson to New Mexico, New Mexico State and a couple state. others. But yeah, to your point, it's it's almost like it. Uh, they're a little bit like an AK team in some senses, to where like. It seemed like Andy Kennedy's teams, when you got into February, when he had good teams, they had somehow like stumbled in the non-conference or stumbled earlier in the conference season and had a bad loss or two to where it was kind of like, yeah, this team can get in a tournament, but they're not leaving themselves any gimmies. Like they have zero room for error, and that seems to be kind of the position State's in right now, which is a shame for them because if they hadn't had such a bad you know, first month and a half or whatever it was, like – like that, if, if you like, I test wise, you watch them play now. Like you're like, how in the world are they not a lock? Uh, that, that's right, and I think part of it is uh, depth. But I, to tell you the truth, and it's probably not the best year to talk about it because I think they are going to make the tournament for the second year in a row. But I mean, Ben Ben Howland is just generally not the best X's and O's basketball coach out there. He it, like what happened with. Hell, Ole Miss last year. I know people hate doing these comparisons, but I just Ben Howland in four years didn't do that with anybody. It's taken the acquisition of talent to even be in this position, and I think a better coach would have them firmly in the tournament, ranked in the top twenty-five, that kind of thing. But it's even with the Final Four appearances, when you look at those, it's been proven over the years that he's a good. Uh, talent getter, but hasn't exactly maximized that talent. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree with your overall premise, though. I do think he, uh, like, Kermit did inherit two all SEC caliber guards to where his And then one that's currently in the NBA. That, that wasn't the best example. But, I mean, he did have, I mean, he had Malik Newman. It, it took it took four years. Oh, I definitely, I definitely know what you mean. Your point is valid. It, but, like, I mean, you saw it on display last year. State had a way more talented team than Ole Miss did. And, granted, State got him in the return matchup to Oxford in the 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 one in Starkville that was kind of the defining moment of Ole Miss's season where it was like, hey, we're, we're arrived, we're here type of deal. Uh, they did have Blake Henson go for 26, which hasn't happened since. But, like, just point being, like, on paper, State was a much more talented basketball team in both of those matchups and Ole Miss almost beat them twice. And, and really just like, if you're just talking about on paper matchup, didn't have a ton of business doing so. No, but uh, this year, unique challenge. They, they have, especially lately, even though Saturday's not the best example, he got to the line a lot. Um, earlier in the season, they didn't run the offense through Perry. So that's why you saw some early losses. I think there's a loss to Kansas state in there. If I'm remembering correctly, maybe they won that game, um, but they lost to Louisiana tech they lost uh, – it was a close game against Villanova, but they, they had some of these early losses where they weren't running the offense directly through their best player. And I don't know they're good at guard. Like, Carter's good. Weatherspoon's good. But the offense – I mean, Reggie Perry should touch the ball every time down the floor because 90% of the games they'll play, their opponent doesn't have a big that can even match up with them at all. And so they've started emphasizing get him – touches 30 touches a night um with saturday not being the best example but that's why they've started to play better is they've just they've learned that they have a guy that's that's good enough to be in the nba i mean maybe even right now as a role player that good of a big and they're running the offense through him Finish up a couple of thoughts on the Mississippi State Ole Miss game. But first, remind you, the podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. He's got it going on over there. You've got baseball season starting this weekend. Hopefully, for everyone's sake that wants to go, it's a little better weather than it currently looks right now because it is raining at my house and it has rained a bunch the last couple of weeks in my backyard. Uh, I used to have a pool. It has since been disassembled, but I have a uh, kind of a muddy-looking pool uh, just in the back left corner of my yard now, just from all of the rainwater accumulation. But 
Anyway, go see him. University Avenue across from Kroger. They've got game packs, steaks, custom cuts, sausages, all kinds of stuff. You can go get the Swayze sausage, ribeye sausage. You can go get one of those game packs and go chill out, out at Swayze, watch baseball for a couple hours. Greg feeds the baseball team. He can uh, feed you while you watch the baseball team. But go check him out. Tell him we sent you. Uh, Greg's the best. He's got it going on over at LB's. A couple, I guess, final thoughts on this Ole Miss State game is you mentioned with Ole Miss, like if, if they win, it kind of sets them up with the free shot against Kentucky to where like, okay, like you dug yourself a huge hole. Here would be one giant leap uh, in terms of kind of trying to dig yourself out of it. If they were to beat State, they would just kind of set you up to have a puncher's outside chance. I don't necessarily see them winning either of these games. I think State is better than them. I think State could cause some uh, pretty disastrous matchup nightmares, particularly in the front court. But, I mean, if you do beat State, you got kind of an outside shot at things to whereas, like, you're probably a little more equipped to answer this than me. Where does State – we hit on it a second ago a little bit, but just in the immediate future, like, how damaging is a loss in Oxford to Mississippi State on Tuesday? It gets them on the outside looking in, right? I mean, here, let me pull up the net just to make sure, but I think that would be uh, the difference right now. And they could make up ground, I guess, but right now they are uh, in the play-in game, depending on what bracketology you look at, and losing to Ole Miss will have them on the outside looking in. I mean, it's that simple. Right now they're in, lose to Ole Miss, and you are out with ground to make up and a schedule that doesn't do you a whole lot of favors. So, I mean, critical is an understatement. They're 41 in the net right now. But the problem is Ole Miss is 93. Yeah, and, like, that's not a sub. Obviously, as you mentioned, mentioned out with Ole Miss being a, a 93, it's not a sub-100 loss. But, I mean, with this Ole Miss team, they hit another bad stretch. Like, that is it, – it's kind of contradicting everything we're saying. But you hit another bad stretch, and Ole Miss has been very Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, that could turn into a sub-101 I'm about to uh, see if I got state schedule just in front of me for the sake of the exercise because I think they're an interesting. Uh, well, Ole Miss is—it's two different things, right? What what the metrics say they are is not really what they are, but the problem is the committee only sees what the metrics say they are. This was the soapbox that Frank Martin was on the other night talking about how, like, yeah, we're going to get crushed for this being a bad loss, but last time I checked, uh, this team beat Penn State, who's atop the Big Ten, and Missouri, who's at the bottom of our league, beat Illinois. It's like, I appreciate the sentiment, Frank, but the selection committee is, one, probably not watching, and two, probably doesn't give a shit, but I do appreciate him <laughs> lobbying on their behalf. He does have kind of a valid point. All right, let's go through State's remaining one and Ole Miss's for the sake of the exercise. State had a loss to Villanova. You can't crush him for that. Tech, not great. And then New Mexico State, I guess, was the real killer. Anyway, remaining said, yeah, I mean, they got a road trip at Arkansas next. Even without – I don't know if Isaiah Joe will be back or not for that. I don't believe he will be. That's still tough. Frisky South Carolina team at home at A&M, Alabama, at Missouri, at South Carolina. You want to talk about a bunch of just pitfall chances for State? You mentioned their opportunities not being able to have, like, quality win opportunities. Like – you're talking about just complete another, just like, uh, like try to make it out of here alive without killing your resume at A&M and at Missouri would certainly fit the bill for that. For sure. So I guess that underscores the point of how important this game really is for them. Um, this they need it. They they ha- it's not a must win, but it's a you better win it. On the flip side, Ole Miss twelve and eleven, three and seven. Just for the sake of of fun, let's flip that. Flip the double overtime loss to Auburn. Say Brian doesn't foul out and they're able to stay in it and they win it. They're 13 and 10, 4 and 7. You've got State, Kentucky. That's a tough one at Kentucky. Then you've got a stretch of at Missouri, Alabama, at Auburn, Vanderbilt, Missouri at home, and State to the end of the year. I mean, that's you're 4 and 6 if, if, if we're counting the Auburn one as a win. If they had just somehow come up with that, like, say you win all of your home games, that's one. I'm so bad at math. Help me out here. Do you have it in front of you? I'm trying to see what they would have gone down, like they could go down the stretch. Let's say State to win. I don't necessarily see that, but let's just say it. It's a home, it's win. Kentucky loss. So that's five and seven. At Missouri's could win that six and seven. At home against Alabama, seven and seven. Now you're seven and seven with Auburn on the road, Vanderbilt, Missouri, and at Mississippi State to close the year. Not you easy. You conceivably get to nine and nine. 
Yeah, exactly. Or 10 and 8 if you really kind of went on a run. And so yeah. that just kind of shows that Ole Miss really just kind of dug itself one layer too deep, which is kind of crazy considering a couple weeks ago you're like, is this team going to win three conference games? Like, are they going to get to 3 and 15? So they were close, but a, a, a long, long way to go, unfortunately, for the Rebels. But a good win for them on Saturday. They're starting to feel a little better about themselves. And it'll be interesting to see how they – kind of uh, finish the year. But as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it's not inconceivable that one of these average to middling teams gets hot in Nashville and kind of goes on a run because there's no, there's not a team on like, there's not a team in the SEC this year, like even Auburn and Kentucky might be kind of rounding into form this way, but there's not a team to where if you get on. Wait, the- you mean in February, Kentucky's rounding into form like they do every year. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's almost like that guy can coach uh, despite, <laughs> despite the narrative to the contrary. But yeah, like there's not a team like that you would get into Nashville and be like, oh shit, like they they drew them on that side of the bracket. They're they're toast. Like they're like getting to Saturday, no matter really who you are, minus like I mean A and M. I mean hell, I don't know. A and M Missouri have shown signs of life at certain points. But point being, like like pretty much it's Saturday's fair game to anyone. Now there's teams better equipped to get there, and you'll have buys and all that stuff. But just it's 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 wide open and i guess you never know what happens which i think is kind of the mindset Ole miss is taking but anyway that kind of wraps up the hoops talk we've got baseball media days tomorrow mike bianco a couple of players will be available we'll have uh coverage of that at supertalk.fm it is creeped up on us uh, very quickly it doesn't feel like opening day is friday but nevertheless you you have it it's here yeah anyway, let me we'll, test this on you okay so we do it for football season. I think we did it for basketball as well. Um, but ceiling, floor, realistic expectation for Old Miss baseball in 2020. So what is, if everything goes absolutely perfect, the team's ceiling, if everything is a disaster and goes wrong, the floor, and then what should the – average fan expectation be for this team in 2020? I mean, ceiling, if everything went right for them and the pitching was really good, I I should say the pitching is as advertised and the offense you have, you know, Hayden Dunhurst, Leatherwood, Kale Baker, what have you, Tim Elko has to be thrown in this conversation, hit at a high level and kind of can carry your offense and replace the holes that Dillard and Zabowski and some of those run run producing guys were in the middle of the lineup. Then this team has the pitching to host a regional. I I, I actually believe that, and I, I think the evidence is there to back it up, even without Tyler Myers, which is a big bullpen loss. I think the depth is there, but you also have a lot of newcomers to the SEC in terms of guys that are going to need to contribute at the plate. Granted, they're not all freshmen. JUCO guys come in a little more polished, sometimes ready to go. Uh, kind of looking at Kale Baker. Uh, Leatherwood, those two guys in particular, I, I guess Elko could kind of count in that, not Juco guy, but uh, kind of make or break for him at this point. I think they could host a regional. Uh, I think the floor is they can't score runs. They lose a lot of 6-1, games against the elite-level arms in the SEC. They kind of cratered to 10-20, and 20, missed the tournament for the third time in Mike's career, and you're sitting there thinking, boy, does that put a lot of pressure on 2021? Uh, what I actually think happens, and I guess this would fall under the fan expectations, like what they should expect. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think this team is probably around 13 and 17 and 14 and 16. And depending on RPIs and things like that, like if you're 14 and 16 uh, with the SEC this year, you're probably not really sweating it heading into Hoover. You're probably trying to you know, stay on the 2C line or whatever, not drop to a 3. Not that that's really that big of a deal in a, the way the regional is set up anymore. But I think they're probably a comfortable two or three seed in somebody else's regional. Um, you know, you could make a case in terms of realistic expectations that they kind of go 15 and 15 or somewhere around there. And they're trying to get hot in Hoover to maybe back their way into hosting one, uh, kind of like a little different version of last year. But I'll say I'll say this team goes 13 and 17 in the SEC and okay. gets in somebody else's regional. Which, I mean, all things considered – I know there are a lot of people that won't like that because there are people that just want 
change in the baseball program for for lots of reasons. And I mean, we're not going to talk about them today because we would just be wasting our time. They they throw out the the one in twenty number and and all that. I understand all that. I'm not saying that you're stupid or anything. It's just it's an exhausting conversation when you look at the program in this season and what they lost from a year ago and, and how young they're going to be. If they do go thirteen and seventeen and are a two seed in somebody's regional, and not even discussing the outcome, but that's when the SEC tournament ends, that's how they are positioned. That should be viewed as what? A success, a failure, or what you should expect from the program after all of the attrition. And 2021 is a year where they should be much better. Well, like anything else, it kind of just depends on how it looks. Like, you don't want to go in a regional and probably just get blasted. But if you get in one and you're competitive and you kind of, you know, maybe win a game or two in the loser's bracket and fight your way through like a Sunday night or something or push your way to a championship game of regional and lose, it's kind of like, okay, bunch of young dudes, they'll be back next year. 2021 will be very much like the 2018 team where it's like, okay, this team, you know, this is an Omaha National Seed type contender. But... I guess on like the flip side of that is it would honestly, if that happened, it would honestly be Mike's best opportunity to kind of like get some of that. uh, It's not bad juju, but get some of that noise uh, kind of silenced a little bit, because as I've mentioned a bunch of times, and we've talked about on this podcast before, I think the biggest indictment on him so far is not, I mean, one in five or one in six in super regionals, whatever he is, like your goal as a college baseball coach, get to supers. Cause if you play everything for a two out of three, it's kind of a crap shoot. And yeah, they shot themselves in the foot a couple of times and yeah, they play tight, but you do have to have some pretty bad luck to go one in. What is it? One in five in supers? I guess it yeah, is it, like, for example, in Mississippi state, their postseason success is not because of luck. It's because it's a good program that has good players and good coaches and they win games because of it. But when they were in Tallahassee, they were, I mean, what was it? Three outs away from losing the regional. And if McNamee doesn't hit that ball out and it's a fly out, their season's over. Okay, so they were one out away from losing in the regional in Tallahassee. And Florida State decides to keep a pitcher in during an almost two-hour rain delay. And he comes in, throws a meatball. It gets hit over the damn scoreboard, like into the, the state of Alabama. It was hit so hard. And then Mississippi State goes to Omaha. So if Florida State just does the competent thing and puts in another pitcher after a two-hour rain delay, Mississippi State probably doesn't get out of the regional. And then they become an Omaha team. And look, again, I know we do have some state fans that listen to this, as I have come to learn, by the way, Rippy. I'm not saying that that team didn't deserve to go to Omaha. They were good, they had good players, and they were coached well. However, it took a stroke of luck and a bad decision for Florida State to get to that point. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's it's also a little bit of, I mean, this is a, probably a conversation for another day or a longer conversation for another day, but it is a little bit of a mentality thing. Like, I, particularly the last few years in Ole Miss. And Ole Miss they have that State. swagger, man. Yeah, it's kind of like a FU type of deal that, granted, Ole Miss always has good kids, but they've lacked like a Jake Mangum or, you know, I'm, I'm not well-versed enough in State's past players but Elijah like McNamee. F- Elijah McNamee yeah. went to the plate every at bat, thinking, "I'm going to piss on this baseball." And then, guar- and, and once I don't they got care. to Omaha, he guaranteed they'd be back like the yeah. next year. That type of deal. Ole Miss has good kids and talented players. I'm not saying that they just don't always have that about them. And so, to your point, it's good fortune, and state maximizes their opportunities. But I think part of it is mentality based. But on the flip side of that, point being, like outside of the uh, one in five super regional thing. Mike's never taken a two seed and won a regional. They got close at, I can't remember if it was at TCU or at Texas A&M one year in like the 2012-ish range. They were either at Texas a and you got them both right. Wasn't it at Texas A&M against TCU? Yeah, I was about to I couldn't remember if it was in Fort Worth against A&M or at Texas A&M when they were still in the Big 12 against TCU. One of those two. They that went was when on everybody the- learned that TCU's dugout antics are little league bullshit, and that was exposed <laughs> for everybody. Yeah, was that when you were, were you in college yet when that happened? That yeah, had to be I about was. Your so younger 2012 window. was my the 2012 baseball season would have been my sophomore year. It may have been 11. I don't remember one of those two years. They didn't be- make the SEC tournament in 11. Okay, so it had to be 12. It was 12. But they, they- 
and then they got through the winner's bracket. Like they, they, they were in the driver's seat in terms of like somebody's got to come beat us twice and TCU beat them twice. But Mike's never taken a two seed and gotten through a regional. And I think that's the biggest indictment because, I mean, if you want to keep using state as the example, it's not, I mean, granted, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not that difficult to do. And as many times as they've, they Ole Miss has hosted a lot and they've really had teams that sucked, but like, like they've had enough teams that's where it's kind of like, okay, go to Raleigh and win as a two or a three seed or something like that one year. They just haven't done that. This would be an opportunity, like if this team, because I think it's going to be tough for them to host a regional. I don't see it. But if they can get in as a two or a three seed and actually kind of pull that off this year and get to a super, you talk about perception changing. Now, granted, you still probably got to get to Omaha in 2021, but like that would certainly change the way I think people view Mike Bianco's time here greatly. Uh, I think more than people would think, even though even though it would end up short of Omaha, or I guess have potential to. So in 2012, they it was in College Station. They beat TCU to get in the winners bracket six to two. Then they beat Texas A&M six to three and lost to TCU on Sunday night and Monday, uh, five to two and seven to four. I don't if remember you had who was- guess who pitched in that five to two loss to TCU to go to that Monday final? If you had to guess, who picked? Uh, well, you almost took the words out of my mouth in a way is that I wouldn't be able to because I think that was one of those teams that had like three pitchers, and if they got into like a late Monday game or like their fourth game of the weekend, you're just kind of like, well, good luck. Uh, Jay Hively, does that name ring a bell? He was Yeah, five that definitely six. does ring a bell. Was that the game that Mike left him in way too long? So I, he and, pitched five and two-thirds. Uh, I'm trying to look at. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. So AM scored, or not AM, TCU scored two in the fourth, one in the fifth, one in the sixth, one in the seventh. Was Ole Miss and up early in that game? One to nothing. Okay. I don't know. Maybe that was the game he left him in too long. Maybe I'll ask Mike that tomorrow. I'm sure he would appreciate that question on Media Day. It's like, can we go back to 2012 for a bit? Do you regret leaving <laughs> Hively in the game for as long as you did? We had a. Anyway, uh, this is this is bringing me back, man. I, I hardly remember this. I, I was just I was drunk most of the time. Uh, let's see. When they beat Texas A and M, Mike Myers was on the mound. Yeah, I uh, I ran into Myers in the third. Brett Huber came in, and then R.J. Hively pitched two thirds of an inning that day. He did. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that team had very many pitchers, if I'm remembering correctly. I ran into Myers in Cincinnati uh, two summers ago. He was a 4A guy for the Cardinals, and he got called up from AAA Memphis while he was in Cincinnati, and I had the Cardinals Aren't that day. Good dude. pitched three games that weekend. He yeah, that out their first game. That is why I, I do not remember this at all. So Bobby Wall, I remember him, um, started in uh, the first game of the, of the, uh, the regional. And Hively came in and relieved him for two innings. Struck out three, only gave up one hit. So he, he pitched well. But then uh, he pitched uh, two games later. Uh, wow. That is – he pitched three times that weekend. Yeah, Mike's had a couple of teams that just haven't had very many pitchers that, to their credit, have actually kind of ridden their offense. And that was one of them is like – and particularly before pitch count became a big deal in college baseball, uh, Mr. Bianco was uh, not not uh, exactly conservative in terms of uh, in terms of monitoring a dude's pitch count. I don't know if that was the case, like with that particular team, but he did have a couple teams that uh, went pretty far with not very many pitchers. I remember there was 07 team the year after they hosted back to back supers and lost to Miami and Texas. They went to Arizona State in a super, and I think they used like four pitchers basically. Uh, kind of in their main thing. They were very thin on the pitching staff and made it all to a super regional with them. Uh, that was when Mike almost got in a fight with the Arizona State manager. I can't remember that guy's name. But anyway, that was a fun rabbit hole to climb down. R.J. Hively and Bobby Wall references on the pod this morning. But hey, You're welcome. Kind of wrapping that up, This, in a way, if they can get into a tournament and get into that scenario, obviously they'd prefer to host. I think that's an opportunity to for Mike and this team to kind of uh, change the way people view the program if they can go get into a regional and get in the mix and win on the road. But anyway, I'm sure we'll have more coverage of that on Wednesday. After we have media day on Tuesday, you'll learn the rotation. You'll learn the starting nine, though. I think you, I told you what the rotation is going to be on Friday. I told you pretty much what I think the entire infield is. 
Outfield, your guess is as good as mine, but I feel decent about my three selections. So we shall I guess, see. Will you learn that tomorrow? Will he tell you straight up that this is going to be the lineup? Oh uh, yeah, that's Mike's thing. He loves doing that. He loves going. Uh, he loves having like parents or somebody ask him about it. Then he'll be like, "I'm glad you asked." And then he'll go through <laughs> the rotation and he'll go all around the diamond all night. He lo- that's kind of his thing on media day is announcing the starting lineup. So instead of like opening with, "Hey guys, excited for another year. Here's who's going to start for us uh, on Friday night," he like gives a statement and then Paris will ask and then he'll like pull out the lineup and then read it to you. Yeah, he, he does. And then he uh, he used to have a media rankings to where he would award the first question of the year to who he felt was in his media rankings. Which, like, You're never winning that. No, he always ranks Chase number one. He actually told me one year, we were, it was one, I don't know why I remember this. There was one night where I was standing, I remember it was Baton Rouge or somebody. It was one night where I was by myself and there was no one else covering the games. And he was in a good mood, and he told me I was number two on his media rankings, and I was like, "Thanks, dude. I don't, I, I don't care." <laughs> and then I think he probably yelled at me a week later. So you're by yourself, and he says you're number two. <laughs> yeah. So the I, ultimate yeah, uh, backhanded compliment. Like what? Like deep down, he might actually like you. You know, he just picks on you, but he actually likes you. Well, this is like season number six or seven at this point, and there's so much turnover in the beat, particularly amongst the newspaper guys. Is that like I think like you hit like the, he like hazes you for like two to three. Like he like if he doesn't know you, he treats you fine, and then once he gets to know you, he kind of starts busting your balls a little more, and then it becomes like I don't know, I don't know Mike Bianca's cycle of media reporters, but uh, if he has an updated rankings on Tuesday, I'll be sure to share them on the pod on Wednesday. Uh, lastly, I'll mention one more time, go by LB's <laughs> University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, go ask Greg uh, what Mike's meat rankings are. Maybe he uh, seems to be a big rankings guy. He feeds the baseball team. He can feed you watching the baseball team. He's got game packs, custom cuts, daily specials. You can go get a plate lunch. Uh, you can go get some lunch and then go get one of those uh, Swayze game packs and then go grill it for dinner while you watch the baseball team play. He's got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of different sausages. Go see him. Uh, Greg's got it going on over there. Appreciate him sponsoring the show. Lastly, I watched two or three XFL games this weekend. I guess there were only four. I watched both of them yesterday and like parts of one Saturday. I was impressed. I kind of, I kind of liked it. I like the way they did the broadcasts. I do too, and they have to do it that way in order to get people to stick around. Although I, I don't think, for example, a lot of people have written the. Here's the change the NFL needs to make on their broadcast story. And I understand why, because hearing the replay booth would be better for us fans. It would have, a few times, I would have appreciated hearing that. But if you're the NFL, why would you ever open up yourself to that kind of scrutiny when that's not going to drive people to watch your game? There is not a single person that is like, you know what? I wouldn't watch that NFL game. But in case there's a review, I get to hear the replay booth, and so I'm going to watch today because they do that. Well, well, no. So I like all that stuff, but that's not going to be whether or not the league survives. As well, they do the quirky – it's good, but TV stuff. Whether or not they can continue to have games, the actual game, the football, that is entertaining enough – to get you to keep watching. And I'm with you. Like, I enjoyed what I saw yesterday. It was Clay Travis, and I know a lot of people listening to this don't like him, but I think he made a really good point. If you took that football game and put the orange or the, the yellow helmet with the green and white G and a silver helmet with the star on it, and it was the exact same game, but it was those uniforms, you would have liked it more. And I think it's a really interesting point because you have people who are like, oh, you know, the quality of football just wasn't that great. Was the quality of football not that great? Or did you not recognize the Seattle Vipers helmet? And I, I'm, I think that would actually have an impact if you were able to do that. Of course you can't. But the football is good enough that I think it's indiscernible from high-level college football. It's just whether or not they continue to invest in it and, and keep it out in front of you. Because it's good enough to work. And I, 
I almost felt like it was better played than the AAF. Maybe that's just recency bias, but no, I, I like it is. what I saw yesterday more than the AAF. No, I think it 100% is. I think you nailed it on the replay thing in terms of like, like I saw that was kind of the hot topic of the weekend. I loved it. I loved seeing the guy talking out loud to the ref being like, hey, we have this, this, and this. We're going to stay with this. I like to think that's exactly what the NFL is doing. But to your point, like the NFL, you're like it's kind of the NFL flexing its muscles in the sense like you're going to watch our games anyway, so we're not going to open ourselves up to that because they still do miss calls on replay. And granted, I don't think that happened over the weekend with the XFL. It's but like going even if to it happen. did, it wouldn't be a week long story to where is if in week twelve the Packers get hosed on a call in Green Bay against the Bears or something and it doesn't go over review and you watch their conversation play out and it's kind of like, hey, what the hell is this guy actually seeing? Then that's all that's going to be in the news cycle for like three, four days at a time. Whereas AAF has the ability to where even if they screw it up, it doesn't matter, uh, even though people like the difference and the transparency and all that. I get both sides of it, but yeah, I don't think the NFL has to do that, so I don't think they are. I would like them to do that. It would be kind of awesome, but again, to like you said, you don't have to do it, and so I don't think they're going to open themselves up to it because you're going to watch on Sundays anyway because you're going to want your fantasy team to do well. You're going to watch Red Zone, and you like the games. Yeah, I d- and the NFL, man, it just just like you mentioned, the calls are so much more impactful. I saw yesterday, I, I don't remember what game it was, but somebody made a reference to the 2018 NFC Championship game. We are a, a full season through after that missed call. Two Super Bowls have been played since then, and people are still in passing referencing that. The XFL never has to worry about that. But if the NFL opened up the the replay booth to miss a call like that, and you hear the replay guy, you know, just not enough for pass interference, the call's going to stand, it would be years before people stopped thinking and talking about that. And there's no reason for the NFL to open themselves up to that crap when it already lasts forever. And it would probably be a safety hazard, like as crazy as people are for said guy in that booth. Dude, you've like, seen the way they have NFL. to get the teams out of the stadium. My God. It, it, I could not imagine what it was like getting Bill Vinovich and his crew out of New Orleans that day. I mean, it probably had to be a presidential-esque police escort to get them out of the Superdome and out of New Orleans after that game. Yeah, I, yeah, and like the AF, you just I mean, the, excuse me, the XFL, you don't have that yet. I don't think you ever really will have it to that level. But I think this can last. It seems like it's funded better. Like like we mentioned on Friday show, it's not going to fold in the middle of the night uh, based on some guy stealing gambling technology from him after buying the league. It appears to be more securely funded because that was the AF's thing. It like it was. I think they had a good plan, but they weren't. Money drives everything, and they weren't a- adequately funded, and so they tr- in turn. Des- were desperate and trusted a guy that they obviously ended up should not have been should not have trusted. Whereas Vince McMahon's pumped a bunch of money in this. It seems more organized on the field. I enjoyed the football. I like the different types of offenses. Like obviously in the NFL, how Mummy's air raid offense is just never never going to fly. But no. it's fun in the AAF. It's I, mean, and then I keep calling it the AAF in the XFL. It's cool. I thought it was interesting. It's cool seeing Bob Stoops on the sideline. I, I really kind of found myself got I really got it like I don't get invested in very many games, but like I, I kind of found myself rooting for Tiamu and then they'd bring Fitzgerald in on a couple of those quarterback like short yardage situations too. Tiamu played pretty well. I, t- you mentioned it earlier in the show. He used his feet a lot. He uh, he made a couple of pretty high level throws. That touchdown pass that kind of sealed the game at the end was a dime. I don't know the the fellow's name that he threw it to, but threw it high up in a tight window in the back of the end zone. And he caught it, played pretty well, used his feet pretty uh, really well. I think he's got a future as a backup in the NFL. I think he'll make someone's roster too eventually. Uh, I was surprised he didn't do it initially, but now he's getting kind of He was in Houston, right? And who are the quarterbacks in Houston? Well, you have a dude named Deshaun Watson who's pretty good, but behind him I am not – I'm not entirely certain. It's not A.J. McCarron anymore, is it? Let's see. No, it is A.J. McCarron because the Titans played him week 17 when they didn't have anything to play for. And so, Joe Webb. Those are the okay. three. McCarron's a pretty good quarterback. Uh, Joe Webb's a one. Of, Joe Webb, I believe, was a receiver for a little bit, or maybe he was a receiver at UAB. Uh, 
but heck of an athlete. Anyway, I think he's four two twenty. He's a big dude. I just that, that's a, the amazing thing about pro football is like this. Yeah, he was a receiver uh, for the Panthers, I believe. Yeah, yeah. UAB. He did, but he. Um, this is crazy, man. He threw in, in 2007. He threw 117 passes for UAB and caught 30. That's pretty wild. That's awesome. The uh, but yeah, yeah he I, played like, receiver for Minnesota and then one year at receiver. Oh hell, dude, he's all over the place. He played quarterback at Minnesota. He played. Receiver for the Panthers. Uh, God, he, he was just like couldn't figure out his role. He returned kicks for a while for the Panthers. Yeah, he's a good athlete. I remember him. He actually UAB played in Oxford uh, forever ago when he he's like 33, 34 years old. Ole Miss played him when he was at UAB way back when. I don't remember what 20, year that was. He was a sixth round pick in the 2010 draft. Yeah, so it would have been early Houston, not like 08, 09. But anyway, like on the field, I thought Tiamu did pretty well. Like I thought he played pretty well. They were obviously they were heavy, pretty heavy underdogs. Granted, the Dallas team was playing with its backup quarterback Landry Jones had some kind of injury that they said he'd be ready for next week, which blast from the past there. Bob Stoops and Landry Jones. But I thought the football was pretty good. I like the kickoff thing. I think that's interesting. I like the go for one, go for two, go for three thing. I don't understand why would you ever. Uh, so I, I guess I don't quite get this. Why would you ever go for one? I guess in specific situations, unless you needed it, like it's it's a go for one from the two yard line, go for two from the five, and go for three points from the ten. It seems like the best value is always two and three. Like going for one from the two versus going for two from the five doesn't make a ton of sense. Doesn't make but any sense at all. I did see a few teams do it. I did yeah. see a few teams. Like no, granted, both those teams were pretty successful at it. They just ran it up the gut, and I guess we're just kind of pushing them around up front. But it seems like the value is in the two and the three. Uh, even though they don't have extra points, the field goal kicking was pretty good. Talk about a world of terrible college kickers, and sometimes the NFL's bad. I thought it was pretty good. I liked listening to the quarterbacks talk. I liked listening to all the play calls. Uh, you know, I've heard for years how simple how Mummy's offense was, and then I heard him 12 times. They completed a pass, and he would just go, do it again, do it again, do it again. It's like, well, that's not a very long play call. So, like, <laughs> it was interesting hearing all that stuff. I thought it was officiated pretty well. I, uh, I don't know if I watch all the games, and it's not definitely not appointment viewing, but like I will follow probably the Battle Hawks now just because there's a couple of Mississippi ties there, and I hope Tiamu plays well and eventually finds his way on the NFL roster because I think he's a nice kid. I think he's talented, and it's honestly a pretty good story coming in with no D1 offers out of New Mexico Military Institute. Dude, but, he signed with Ole Miss to be a backup. Yeah, like I, I, overall, I was captivated by it. There's some cool stories in there. You had that safety. Uh, I hate to harp on St. Louis too much, but you had that safety that's apparently an NFL talent, but was academically ineligible at West Virginia, who's like just going to play up until the draft. And like they might not have him the whole year because if a team tells him, hey, we're probably drafting you here, like he might stop. Like there's some fascinating storylines. Aaron Murray is somehow still playing football, he's with the Tampa Bay team. He got benched, uh, though, because he sucks. Yeah, shocker. Aaron Murray and Mark Tressman combo did not very work. I was, I did not work very well. I was pretty, pretty, pretty stunned by that one. Uh, you have the Silvers kid, who I think was the Birmingham Iron quarterback. I think he played at Troy. Uh, pretty good story there. He played well. I kind of see what I felt bad about the AAF was, you know, for every Garrett Gilbert who got an NFL shot, there were guys kind of piecing together that story but hadn't found it yet. And then all of a sudden the league shuts down. So hopefully you can kind of see some guys filtering the NFL through this. Uh, overall, I'll give it like an A- minus as far as opening weekend. You might see a ratings dip like you did with the AAF, but I will continue to watch if it's on. That's kind of my overall assessment. Yeah, and God, poor New York. People are talking about attendance and, oh, well, how can a league survive when the attendance is this bad? The, the attendance could be zero. That's not how it's going to make money. It's people watching it on television. That being said, New York needs to play where the soccer team plays and not at MetLife Stadium. Because they put 17,000 people in there, which is, for a startup league in February in New York City when it's cold and wet, is not bad. But when you look at MetLife Stadium, it looked terrible. Where On the flip side, 
DC played where DC United plays, that that nice new soccer stadium there, looked like a cool environment because it was an appropriate venue. That's not what's going to make or break the league. Again, zero people could show up, and the league could still make a ton of money or not at all. It's all about television viewership and not – I mean, of course they make a little bit of extra cash on people buying $15 tickets a few times a year, but it's all in television. Well, and Ravel had some nerd-ass tweet that they've already surpassed the AAF in ticket revenue, like for their whole season and opening weekend. Did, do I have that stat right? Did you see this? Say that again? So I think the XFL passed the AAF in ticket revenue for an entire season in one weekend. I believe that was Ravel's contribution to society this weekend. I believe that wow. is accurate i'll double check that right now so you mentioned the attendance not being great it's obviously seems like it's better than the aaf was maybe that's just people committed to season tickets too i don't know uh i'm on ravel's feed right now they had 3.3 million viewers this weekend and the aaf had 2.9 opening weekend so television viewers yeah television viewers yeah no no i i kind of went off on a tangent there obviously not tickets but that so they're doing better in tv It seems like their season ticket sales are better. I'll be fascinated. I'm interested on multiple levels here. There's like a couple of like personal connections that I'll root for Fitzgerald and Talmu to do well. I don't really have a team. Maybe I'll adopt the Seattle team. I'm just interested to see whether this works or flops as a whole and whether they can cultivate fans. The last thing I really have on this is you mentioned the attendance and all that. It's also February right now, and February is pretty much, unless you catch a random day, a universally crappy weather month everywhere. I mean, it, I mean, look outside your house right now if you're listening in Mississippi. It looks awful. Can't imagine what it's like in New York. I'm just wondering, as they get into the later season, and this goes into March and April, and you get in the playoff games, you catch a couple of 70-degree days on a Saturday and Sunday, and you're drinking beer watching football in the spring at like a xfl playoff game that has potential to be pretty sweet in my opinion like i would go to that yeah absolutely um i I wonder what the ncaa tournament does to their viewership and stuff coming up in march yeah i mean it's probably uh it's probably just like anything else like something established like that's gonna crush it but like i imagine their season goes on a little bit past that but to me that's like that i know it's ncaa tournaments multiple weeks long but to me that's really not that different than like the nba on like a college football playoff night or something like that, kind of getting smoked. Like I, it just kind of is what it is with some of right. that, but I don't know. I, I found it interesting. I, I enjoyed my XFL viewing experience. You had some pretty sweet cuss words. Uh, they kind of let loose a little bit. Dylan day being very on brand. I, if you asked me the one guy that would have been like the first guy I had to come up with um, tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, black helicopters. Uh, they let that fly. I know they did it after the fact to try to make it sound like they were trying for the FCC, but I promise you, there's no way a a major television network could not stop the F-bomb from making it on their airwaves. There's no way you can tell me that they tried and they couldn't prevent it. No way. At the very least, even if you don't want to go full on tinfoil hat, they probably weren't too pissed about it slipping, even if it was quote-unquote an accident. Like, they probably really didn't care. So it created a viral moment and got people talking about him. And that's all it takes. I was too young to remember the first rendition of the uh, XFL, but I did watch the documentary on it. And it seems like they've honed in on the middle ground. Like last time it was just a circus and a clown show and people like the chaos. And you had the nicknames on the back of the jersey and the fightings and the vulgar whatever that honestly would have been pretty sweet this time. It seems like they found a happy medium here. It's good football and they've kind of let the players kind of do their thing. So I'll watch next week. Maybe we'll turn this into like a 45-minute segment each week on, uh, you know, the uh, Dallas Renegades' terrible rush defense and things of that. Just really get into the (laughs) nitty-gritty of the XFL. But overall, pretty good weekend. We'll be – unless you got anything else, I think that's about all we got for today. That's it, man. We'll be back at it on Wednesday. We'll probably be a pretty baseball-heavy show with uh, with number one Louisville coming in. We'll have some thoughts on Louisville's pitching staff. Spoiler alert, they're pretty much Vanderbilt North. They'll just pull kids out of left and right field that hurl 95 miles an hour. And so we'll get into that some on Wednesday. Uh, we'll definitely be reacting to what is 
going to be kind of a fascinating basketball game between Ole Miss and State. Have some other stuff for you, but we appreciate you listening. If you like what you heard, uh, like or like and subscribe to the podcast. I don't know if you can like the podcast. I think I just made that up. Rate and review the podcast. Leave us you five can stars. on Spotify. So okay. yeah, give us a like. Yeah. Appreciate you saving me there. I think I just I thought I just made that up. Uh, but uh, give us five stars. Say whatever you want in the comment section. We appreciate you listening. Always appreciate the feedback. And we'll be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.